Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This is Keys to the City with Anthony Weiner. Welcome to Keys to the City, episode 13, a podcast about the problems facing New York City and the enduring power of ideas. I'm Anthony Weiner. From existential threats to pet peeves, each week together we'll resist the temptation to curse the darkness. Instead, we'll try to light a candle by bringing to light things that have worked before or new ways to get things done. And today I want to have a conversation about a couple of ideas about the fundamental nature of business in New York City. And many people, particularly those who are not from New York City, probably think about the skyline of New York City. They think about the Google headquarters. They talk about Goldman Sachs and the big banks being situated here. But in fact, those big businesses are really not what makes up the economic backbone of our city. Our city is made up, frankly, mostly of small businesses. And those small businesses can take the form of One of the many, many businesses that is in the Empire State Building, for example, small service businesses, small businesses that have less than 10 or 20 or 100 employees. Or they can be the more visible ones, the ones on our neighborhood shopping strips that we frequently talk about when we lament the state of our small business community. When a local shop closes on Kings Highway or on Astoria Boulevard, it is felt in that whole neighborhood. And in fact, if you look at the sheer heft of the small business community, 98% of all the businesses in New York City, and there are over 220,000 of them, have fewer than 100 employees. And 89%, almost 90%, have fewer than 20 employees. And they provide work, those small businesses, for 1.3 million New Yorkers, and it's about half the private sector workforce are in these small businesses. And the plight of these businesses finally came to the fore in the mayoral campaign of 2020. Many different candidates ran, and I always keep an eye on this type of thing to kind of gauge what the candidates think people are concerned about. Every single of the major candidates had a page on their website dedicated to a specific plan about small businesses. And the reason it had become such a big deal at that time was because, first, the plight of small businesses in the age of COVID, that many of them were forced to shut down, if not except for the essential worker types, almost all of them. And also the challenge that had been faced is what the perception that there was a deluge of more summonses being given for more regulations that were being written and the like, so that more and more businesses were struggling under the weight of many summonses being given out. Now, that second thing, some of it is perception and some of it is reality. Here's what the reality part is. New York City, with a very activist city council and a very pro-consumer city council, frequently puts the regulation in place first, ask questions later. And there's always an excellent rationale for it. 
You know, one example might be the letter grades in restaurants. It might seem like, hey, what's the matter of having more information about the records of those businesses and for people to be able to make informed decisions about what restaurant they go into? But among the many things that went into that regulation are things like where in your window the letter grade has to be posted, what period of time it has to be posted after your grade has gone up, but they haven't gotten you the right label yet, things like that. If you ever go into a neighborhood diner, and look behind the cash register. Look at all of the different notifications and rules there are that they have to follow. I am sure you'll find back there a posting having to do with the danger of pregnant women being around microwaves, for example. So it's not that any of these regulations are wrong on their face, but when you have such an activist city council and a bureaucracy in the city around enforcement, many more summonses are going to be issued. That rise in summonses became such a crescendo that just about every candidate in the city had a campaign dealing with reducing that burden. And not long ago, for example, the mayor of the city of New York, following up on a campaign promise that he made, went back and did a study in his first few months in office, told his commissioners to come back with regulations that could be changed or can be reduced. 30 of them were repealed, he said. 49 of them had the summonses reduced, and 39 of them had the regulation changed that led to all the summonses. So that's a total of 118 different summonses, that categories that were changed just in the first few months of the Adams administration. I commend him for doing that. So this is where we get to the idea part. And there are two ideas, one about making life a little bit easier for small businesses that get some of those summonses, and one about expanding the business reach of the small businesses in our city. First is idea number 21 that I call the small business adjudication van. If you're trying to do it in your head, no, that doesn't spell anything interesting. And the idea is that rather than have summonses have to be answered by local businesses by going down to John Street, which is downtown Manhattan where the administrative offices are, that we basically have the administrative officers, the stenographers, and the officer that is bringing the summons, who is attesting to the summons, they go out into the community where those summonses were given. For example, I use the example of King's Highway, which is a shopping strip in the, I guess you call it the Midwood Flatbush part of Brooklyn. By the way, King's Highway runs on a jagged line through Brooklyn. And you might be wondering how that got there. It was the original Canarsie Trail. It was a, a trail going back to the the days when Native American, the, the Canarsie Indians, were in that neighborhood. Anyway, King's Highway is a shopping strip. And the way this would work is that once a month or a couple of times a month, an adjudication van from the Small Business Administration would drive out to King's Highway and announce in advance, we're going to have hearing hours between 9 and 2 in the afternoon. And a shopkeeper would not have to shut down for the day. They'd be able to walk out of their shop, walk down the block, get in, go into the van with their summons and appear before the hearing officer and say, look, I didn't do it, or here's the explanation. Or maybe even say to the hearing officer, come take a look and you'll see why this regulation is difficult to enforce or problematic in my neighborhood. The idea is to just make it a little easier for small businesses to contest these many summonses and violations that they wind up getting. That's idea number 21 from my book, Keys to the City. Idea number 23 in the same section about small businesses is to take the information and the heft of the city of New York and put it to good use for those of us who want to shop local. Small businesses in New York City are competing not only against shops that are down the block, but shops obviously around the world and competing first and foremost with the Amazons of the world. 
So my idea for shopnyc.com would be that since the city knows because of their records that they have both with the Department of Small Businesses that gives out licenses and with the Department of Finance that collects taxes, they know a great deal about the businesses in our city. They know where they are. They know who the boss is. They know who the owner is. I would start by sending a two-page questionnaire out to all of them. We're starting up a website called shopnyc.com. Tell us what types of products you have at your store or what types of services you provide. Give us the contact information in your hours. And then we, the city of New York, sets up a basic but very usable website that allows people to say, I'm shopping for shoes, and this is the zip code I live in. Show me where they are. And then it connects uh, people to their businesses who then can post their websites and stay local. And given how diverse the small business ecosystem is in New York, even if it's an obscure thing, my business is transferring VCR tapes to digital, it can be found through shopnyc.com. Now, the mayor has tried something called shopyourcity.cityofny.us. I won't even comment on why that's not a great system, but all that does is it basically encourages people to shop locally. It doesn't do that much to part connecting consumers. And we know that this is a popular concept. I think American Express every so often does shop local. People want to do it. I'm not saying it's the be-all and end-all, but it's a way to use the power of data that the city has at its disposal to help build businesses up in New York City, which ultimately helps our tax base, helps employment, and I think it pretty much speaks for itself. Now, after the break, we're going to come back to someone And I know I've said this a couple of times on the podcast. This is the perfect guest. This guy really is. He is someone that has experience both on the government side, on the small business side, on the advocate side. He's even got a background on the academic side. And he's going to weigh in on my ideas about small business right after the break here on Keys to the City. So welcome back to episode 13 of Keys to the City. We're talking about small businesses, the challenge that they face in New York City in some ways. One way to make life a little bit easier for them when they get into the crosshairs of government regulation and one way to encourage New Yorkers to shop local. We have with us a really great guest, someone who I guess I refer to him by his highest title. He's kind of like when you become an ambassador, you'll be an ambassador for life. I'm going to call him Commissioner Rob Walsh. He was the commissioner of the Department of Small Business Services, the entire Bloomberg administration, 2002 to 2014. Since then, he started out, I think this is right, Rob, you and I got to know each other when you were at the Union Square Partnership, when you were advocating on behalf of small business owners and the residents of that community. And now you're a professor, you teach, you've taught at Columbia, at Brooke, and you're also, you have a radio show, Bottom Line for Small Business on 1010 Wins. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's nice to get together with you again. It really is now. And tell me a little bit, your most recent role is something called JGSC Group. They do advisory work to help localities improve their small business environment. What do you guys do there? Yeah, we basically find ourselves on a lot of main streets throughout the New York metropolitan area. We'll look at a main street and, you know, a retail strip. We were recently in the North Shore of Staten Island and, you know, small businesses, the brick and mortar shops, we're seeing a lot more vacancies. What is it going to take to turn around? What do they need? What, you know, and it often starts with quality of life issues, sanitation issues, security issues, developing the environment, you know, before you could end up attracting businesses. And we work with a lot of community-based organizations, you know, to tell them that, you know, you're not going to attract 
businesses unless the environment feels safe and clean. And, you know, some of that will take care of its own, but some of it has to be curated. You know, if you have too many coffee shops, they're going to put each other out of business. So it's a lot of fun. I often, you know, lean on a lot of the experiences that I had over my 12 years and also running Union Square Partnership to help people and see if I could get them lifted up. So in your experience, is the phenomenon, the shopping strip phenomenon that is the backbone of the New York economic situation, it's kind of, it's unusual, right? You don't see this in every city. You see the traditional downtown that people get in their car and go to. You see the mall in the outskirts of town. But the way we have been an economy that has thrived based on, I mean, mom and pop is a cliche, but small businesses gathered together in the middle of neighborhoods is kind of a unique thing in New York, isn't it? It is a unique thing. And, you know, we live in Carroll Gardens and we love walking along Smith Street. And, you know, last night we had dinner at Court Street and we like to walk afterwards. And, you know, unfortunately, in a lot of neighborhoods, my old neighborhood where I used to work, Union Square is an example. You can't find one independent small business around the park, which I worked for eight years, you know, bringing around. And it's unfortunate you get entrepreneurs who come into neighborhoods like a Union Square because there was an opportunity, because the prices were low. And when it gets healthy and when it gets safe and when it gets clean, they're the ones that get forced out. And it's, you know, it's a challenge. And then you have areas where, unfortunately, you have colleges, medical centers that basically turn their back on the court. And how do you get them to embrace and support and get their student body and faculty and visitors to embrace their quarters rather than complaining about it? And that's one of the things that has taken place in New York, but not enough. But I, you know, look, there's 600 or so retail quarters in New York City. There's plenty of work that we still need to do to make them a lot better. Yeah, I mean, Smith Street's an interesting example. I mean, I bet you'd have a tough time finding a cobbler, even a little neighborhood pizzeria or a little bookstore. You know, it changes. But it really is true. I mean, I remember there was this apocalyptic fight that took place, I'm going to say, in the mid-1990s as banks started to have smaller footprints in the outer boroughs and go to more ATM machines. And it was, oh, my goodness, this is the end of the world. The banks are leaving our communities. And then 20 years later, they're opening up more banks than conceivably any reason that they would have to. To some degree, government, in my view, and this is something that I think you articulated when you were the commissioner. We have to kind of set the table for business. Like, There's only so much we can do to say, all right, wouldn't it be great if there was a toy store on this corner? Oh, it's a Starbucks. That may happen sometimes. But I think government has to kind of set the table by having an environment that if someone says, listen, I want to start a toy store here, at least we give them a little bit of an opportunity to. But there's only so much. I think sometimes people people would say to me all the time, they'd say, councilman or congressman, why don't we have X business on our shopping strip? Well, there's only so much you can do to lay the table that with that much detail. It's government has to just kind of make an environment that works, right? Yeah. And the mistake a lot of these organizations, whether they're business improvement districts or local development corporations or merchants associations make, is they try to leapfrog over the quality of life issues. Right. 
And it's like, why don't we have a Starbucks or why don't we have a Dunkin' Donuts? And if we had this, no, get the environment in place where it feels safe, where it feels clean, where it is in place. You know, you and I both know this gentleman, Ken Giddon at Rothman's. Sure. You know, Ken used to say to me, stop spending money on marketing. Don't. I'll do my marketing. I just want it safe, clean, and an environment where I could end up building and growing. And that's what we have to do more and more. You know, I was just up up and down the streets of 161st Street in the Bronx. You know, it drives me crazy that you have in the shadows of one of the great franchises, you know, a place that is dirty, that is empty, that is vacant. It makes no sense. And if the perception, if it was one, if it was cleaner, safer, and better, the businesses would come. And we got to get back to the basics on that in, in a lot of ways. Right, right. And, and we have to kind of see businesses as part of a community, not something that people necessarily come in to go to. Like we can't look at it like a shopping mall. It has to be something that the neighborhood, the community has to generally be, feel like it's safe and clean. So let me touch on a couple of the ideas that I mentioned. And then I want to hear maybe you've got a couple that you've got. The first one I said is let's, there was a lot of talk and you must have been gratified to see this in the last mayoral election. Every single mayoral campaign had a conversation on their webpage in the regular talking points. I got asked about it on the debate. What are you going to do for small business? Yeah. A lot of them said, I want to give them fewer summonses, make it a little easier. I think that's easier said than done. These regulations, these rules are in place and they're hard to just uproot, although the mayor has done a little bit of that. So I said, one idea is have the hearings for these individual shopkeepers on their shopping strip, have a little van or something, have a little space that they take out so that the both the people, the adjudicating officers, the, the ticket writers and the shopkeeper, they're right there in the neighborhood. What do you think about that idea? I love it. I like the idea. And, and, you know, I try to do that with the business solution centers, you know, by putting them in the various boroughs. We had something called small business development centers that were created by the feds and the state. But the problem with the small business development centers, they were all on college campuses. Now, you and I both know that, you know, the first generation immigrant is not going to go to, you know, a major college and university looking for help to navigate government, you know, getting back to a storefront, going to a main street where they feel comfortable, where it is their, you know, their front yard, if you will, makes a lot of sense. You know, whether it's a build out of the solution centers or these, it almost sounds like a, a page out of the old John Lindsay <laughs> days. Yeah. Where, I was actually, you know, the mitzvah tanks that go yeah. around to try to recruit. I was thinking something like that, a, a little, a van, something like that. This way, if you get a summons, you don't have to go down to John Street. You don't have to wait. You have to file paperwork. You go right in there. So that that seems like a, a way to... You even know the street. <laughs> exactly. exactly. John so street. the the yeah. other idea, and this is something that I always thought was doable, and there might be a major logistical reason why you can't, is let's assume I want to make a conscious decision to shop local. And we have all these campaigns. American Express does one. There's one active now on the website of the small business services of the city of New York. Why, given all the information that we have at our disposal as city, as the city, that we know people where they're located, we, we can find them to pay taxes. We've got block and lot numbers. 
Why don't we take all of those people, send them a one-page letter and say, would you like to be featured in shopnyc.com? We will list the products that you sell, your address, and then we'll put them on a big website that lets, I want to buy shoes and I, I'm in zip code 11215. Here are the places that are closest to you to go buy shoes. Now, what do you think about that idea? I love it. When you sent me that idea in an email, you got me thinking about, about it. And it made me, it percolated another idea. Wouldn't it be nice when you created a business that the city treated you like a business and they said, you're opening a shoe shop, a cobbler, a coffee shop, whatever it is. And it gave you the information about your neighborhood. So let's just go back to the Smith Street and said, this is the business improvement district in the area. This is the map of the area and stayed with you. The problem becomes this balkanization of government and also the community-based organizations that are within. You know, it would be nice if that piece where you have to go to the Department of Consumer Affairs was also part of the agency that I was involved in for 12 years. And there was an easy transfer of that information and then giving those businesses the information they need to be successful, that there's a place, you know, welcome. You're now a customer of ours and we treat you like a customer. Well, I, and another thing that in in the same realm of aggregating data that might be helpful, you know, you know this because you function both in the private sector and you've been in nonprofits and you've been on the government side. The amount of data that the city of New York holds about its communities is remarkable between the census, tax data that we have, Imagine if you were considering opening a business or you opened one and someone said, we're going to provide you with all the data about what's going on in your community so you can figure out how you might want to customize your sales, how you might, you know, the kind of thing that a big private company, for example, before Starbucks opens up a place on King's Highway, they're getting reams of information about their community. They're paying a private consultant to come up with their signage in Russian. You know, that's the kind of thing would be nice if small business was able to get. The bottom line and you alluded to this briefly in your last answer. We have these three silos. We have the for-profit world, we have the nonprofit world, and we have government, right? And very often government is the most muscular of those three and yet stays in its little side, like doesn't try to figure out ways to be helpful to those other ones. And that might be, that's a good future episode of Keys to the City. But let me ask you for a couple, give me, give me a couple of Rob Walsh specials. Give me a couple of little ideas that you've had that you've been, that have been simmering for a while that you think, wow, this, given this particular moment that we have, we're in a period not dissimilar to the one that we had when you and I first met, when you didn't quite know what direction the city was going to go in. Crime was very high. You and I know something about high crime. As yeah. bad as it is now, we've seen worse. We did it. You, you helped turn Square. around Union Square. Let me pump you up a little bit. Yeah. You turned around Union Square. Everyone knows it now as the hipster paradise. Yeah. But when we, you know, it used to be we got schmatas on 14th Street. That used to You're be. Welcome. So tell us a little bit about what you think about today's New York and some ideas you might have. Well, I think there's two areas. And, and by the way, thank you for this opportunity. Two is one is capital access for small businesses and small businesses are still not getting, you know, banks give them the raw deal, quite frankly, for the most part. You don't get loans for the big banks if you're under $2 million and you've had, you know, perhaps not the greatest 
credit ratings. We have a lot of entrepreneurs there that struggle to get capital and we need more CDFIs, we need more nonprofits, we need more actions, pursuits, and we need to be more aggressive about making those connections and not losing entrepreneurs who want to invest in the city. I got to that, you know, quite frankly, in the, you know, the seventh, eighth and ninth inning of my time, in, you know, in the Bloomberg administration on capital access and understanding the issue. And I think it, it's an issue that needs to be front and center of how do we get capital access right. to creative entrepreneurs who want to invest in our city. One. The second is technology, as you pointed out, is we initiated something called Business Express that died on the vine during the last administration. The concept was if you wanted to open up a shop that you didn't have to go into person to consumer affairs, the fire department, the buildings department, landmarks, and everybody in between to move your applications forward. And believe it or not, it is still paper intensive. Yeah. And it is still where you have to wait in line at John Street. You still have to wait in line at the buildings, you know, whatever it is in the borough offices. That stuff should be online. Now, the new mayor has picked up on that. He has promised that it would be delivered in the fall. I hope they could be done. You know, I hope they could do that. I hope they focus on it because it makes sense. It makes sense to make it easier and save businesses time and money so they could open their businesses. There's too many businesses that think they're going to open up on September 1, and they can't open up because of the delays of government. And in some cases, the utilities. Yeah. No, that, those are two good points. My brother, Jason, just closed a restaurant he had for 15 years on 22nd Street between Broadway and Park. And, uh, you know, he would tell me, I worked there, I worked there briefly helping him out. He would tell me all the time about the disconnect between what the demands were of his business and the way many of the bureaucracies and when you're in restaurants it's a whole nother it's whole next level oh my god it's, it's health it's fire department you, know, and you could have a, you, you, could, you could have a utility drag its feet on something and you're literally in a circumstance that you can't open your restaurant for a while so that i i agree that is a, and in a weird way from what i understand covid did serve as a kick in the pants to the city to figure out ways to do more of these things online and more of these things without, you know, using technology a little more, just like it did for the rest of us. Yeah, and I hope they stay with it. You know, it takes breaking down, you know, my struggle was I had another agency, I'll call them out, Department of Consumer Affairs, who I could not, you know, get through to. And they would say, well, we just built a new computer platform. I don't care if you have, you know, it's like, we need to get this stuff done. Right. And, you know, and too many agencies have used when they've gotten pegs, programs to eliminate the gaps, yeah. they would raise their fines. Yeah. And they would torture businesses because they had three tables rather than two tables out in front of their place. And I like what this mayor has said, is that there's going to be some forgiveness on this stuff to, you know, to help these businesses, particularly now, get back, back up and running. I think you mentioned COVID. I, it's interesting what's happened in many neighborhoods. I think there's even could be stronger main streets and stronger corridors because more people are working at home. So now you have lunchtime, you know, gatherings and, and others who are in their neighborhoods that are working. So yeah, that, little... that's the dichotomy that if people 
are staying at home. They, they might be shopping at home more and we, we hope that they do. Look, they, I really do appreciate your time. They, I think the thing that listeners need to understand, individuals, when they're dealing with government, it's usually something has gone kind of wrong. <laughs> they've got a flood on their street or they've got a tax bill that was or that was over, yeah. that was too high or something. But for small businesses, it's basically part of their, their organizational chart is all of these government agencies that yeah. they can't function unless they have them working and rowing in the same direction as they are. And that frequently doesn't happen. And uh, that's why I, I think that it is worth, as I mentioned some of the statistics introducing you, you know, it is worth it to us because ultimately this city won't be the same. We're going to have reductions in things like financial services and banking. But if small businesses loses 25%, we're not going to survive as a city. That's no, we're not. We're, and, and you lose something special about neighborhoods that we've grown in, you know, grown up in. You, you don't it, replace that. It's really you, true. Yeah. So, Rob, where, where can people find you? Or you have a Twitter handle, a website. Where, where can they find you? I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit, you know, commenting about, you know, small businesses. And I always love, you know, new ideas and seeing, you know, entrepreneurial flares and, and activities. You know, my email, I respond to it. I give it out. It's rob.walsh.myc at gmail.com. And, and the radio show? When's the radio show on? It's on on Monday. Thank you. It's on Mondays and Fridays at uh, 8.56 and 5.56. And I like focusing on, as you mentioned in the opening, small businesses and, and what they're doing. And that's on 1010 Wins. And so listen to 1010 Wins, except when I'm on the radio, then switch over to WABC. <laughs> Rob Walsh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank and you. We'll Great to see you. Right, we'll be right back after this for some final thoughts. Well, that was a great conversation with Rob Walsh. He's someone, as I said in our conversation, he and I go back quite a ways. And he is someone that really understands. Now, when you're a commissioner of an agency, you frequently have competing imperatives. And his, he pointed this out in the interview, his imperative was not only to help and promote small businesses, but he also knew that there are other agencies, the Department of Consumer Affairs he mentioned, the Department of Finance. There are other agencies that sometimes see small business as a place to either issue fines or collect revenue. And he has always had an excellent sense of like the global imperatives that we have in growing small business. And I hope that you found that conversation enlightening. I know that I certainly did. If you have things that you'd like to contribute to Keys to the City in the terms of an idea of your own or a question about something that's come up, or you just want to give us some feedback, Keys to the City at WABCRadio.com, Keys to the City at WABCRadio.com. And it really helps us if you subscribe to the podcast. You can subscribe using any number of the platforms that host podcasts, or you can go to the Red Apple Podcast Network, which has it easily downloadable for you there. And you can also find there podcasts that are hosted by other personalities at WABC Radio. And you can also find their podcast versions of radio shows, including my own, The Middle, which appears at 2 o'clock on Saturdays, and the one I do with Curtis Lewa, Left versus Right, at 3 o'clock on Saturdays. But you can get them in the form of podcasts and listen to them on the go by going to the Red Apple Podcast Network or anywhere where you get podcasts. It's really great of you to, to participate and to listen. I appreciate you doing so on Keysless City, and we will be back next Thursday for another episode. Thank you from Keys to the City.